1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
0: Check the backseat. Check the backseat.
2: All right, come here. Check the backseat
3: today's friday december 5th 2000 friday december 4th 2020 coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia. It's all about the Georgia runoff. Uh, we'll continue our conversation about that. Republicans in total disarray. And we prepare for the big John Ossoff-Raphael Warnock rally tomorrow that will be live streaming right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Congresswoman Joyce Bates of ohio has been elected chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. She joins us to talk about what her priorities are going to be in Alabama. Why are they trying to target churches who are trying to take people to the polls? We'll talk about that story as well. In addition to Congress, Kavir will have uh, a uh, COVID relief bill, but is it really a bill that helps the people? And comedian Michael Collier joins us to we'll talk about his new holiday film. Lots of other stuff to discuss. A rolling Martin unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is. It's Founders Day for Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Today is the 114th Founders Day. And so, of course, it's all about the brothers. All about the bros today. Uh, folks, uh, in Congress, a uh, new leadership has been elected. Uh, David Scott of Georgia. We're in Georgia right now. He is going to be the new chair of the Agriculture Committee. That is a huge, huge position, uh, being the ranking member. Uh, when it comes to uh, financial affairs, house, actually foreign relations, uh, Greg Meeks is going to be uh, the new chair as well. And for the Congressional Black Caucus, Joyce Beatty of Ohio has been elected Uh, as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Of course, whenever you have have a new session, what happens is, of course, Democrats elect new leadership. Now, when it comes to the top leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, you have, of course, Denny Hoyer, Majority Leader, and you have uh, the whip, uh, Jim Clyburn. Uh, Then, of course, you have the head of the Democratic Caucus is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. But the committee assignments are critically important. Some folks actually switch. You have, of course, uh, the House Financial Services, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. She is the one who was the top dog on that particular committee as well. Uh, and so African-Americans, remember, the CBC has the largest group in the Democratic caucus, more than anybody else. And so uh, you get to see their power. Uh, exhibited uh, when it comes to who chairs committees. Why is that important? Because they have subpoena power. They have the ability to hold those congressional hearings, to hold people to task. And so that's why it is important for African-Americans to be in those leadership positions. I'm going to bring in my panel right now uh, Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, Mustafa Santiago Ali, of course, former uh, uh, advisor there for the EPA, and also we have uh, Sam Fullwood. Sam, of course, is with the Center for, American, uh, Center for uh, Professional and Presidential Studies at American Universities, and of course, all three on my Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity brothers. So that's the way we do it uh, on uh, December 4th on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, and that's why, y'all y'all see, uh, now one of my followers, I don't have her name, but uh, she actually uh, made this for me last year. I'll pull up the name in a second. And so she made this for me, this, this uh, African outfit with A5A on it. So I wanna go ahead uh, and wear it today. Uh, since she hooked me up with this. Uh, Let's go right to our our panel. Uh, First off, uh, Sam, I wanna start with you. How important is it, let's talk about power. How important is it to have African-Americans in these critical leadership positions, chairing committees, wielding the gavel, uh, and exercising that power?
4: First off, let me say happy alphaversary to you, my brother, and all of my brothers on this panel, but to you in particular, Roland Martin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me here. Um, I think you outlined it pretty well uh, in your introduction. The chair people of the various committees have the ability to set the agenda for what the committee is going to do. That includes the subpoena power. That includes uh, how they manage legislation. That includes whether they will even take up something or not. Uh, the, the 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 committee chairs are vitally important in terms of, of uh making things happen or not allowing things to happen.
3: You're absolutely right there. Mustafa, you worked at the EPA. You understand the power of Congress. Uh, Democrats controlling the House. Again, they can, the the chair of the committees, they wield significant power. And again, trust me, those who are in federal government, uh, they react differently when you get a letter from the chair of a congressional committee because they control the purse strings.
5: Exactly, which is super critical to most folks because those dollars actually play out in how policy happens on the ground. I was blessed to spend two years on Capitol Hill working for the dean uh, of the CBC and also chairman of the Judiciary uh, Committee, John Conyers, and and to watch how he utilized that power in a way to also make sure that our voices and our experiences were a part of the testimony that actually came in. Uh, and also making sure that he was always highlighting those African-Americans who had expertise so that, you know, it sort of translated in so many different ways. So not only, you know, the influence that the committee chairs have uh, on our federal family, but also even broader than that in making sure that our voices are actually heard and, and honored in the process.
3: Uh, Greg, uh, historically, what people have to understand when you think back, uh, to President Lyndon Baines Johnson, President John F. Kennedy, the power that Congressman Adam Clayton Powell had when it, coming to, when it came to driving through legislation. Folks talk about uh, the war and poverty, of the great society. It was Adam Clayton Powell who played a critical role uh, when you talk about uh, what happened with apartheid. In the 1980s, the CBC played a critical role, but again, uh, members being in leadership positions. And so historically, we understand what happens when you have powerful chairs right now with the House Financial Services Committee. Trust me, if you're a bank, you do not want to cross Congresswoman Maxine Waters.
6: (laughs) You do not, brother. I mean, happy birthday to to all all of our fraternity brothers uh, worldwide. And and since you mentioned, brother, Adam Clayton Powell, Alpha Phi Alpha, um, perhaps there's been no more powerful individual congressman in the history of the United States Congress of African descent than Adam Powell appropriations committee uh, and a lot of people are you know if you get if you gotten a pell grant to go to college you need to go back and thank adam clayton powell when you think about the great society you're absolutely right powell did it i mean and so coming forward through history we understand the importance as we just heard of these of these chairships i mean it's interesting scott and agriculture um will be able to drive things in the federal legislature, particularly around food stamps school lunch because typically that chairpersonship has gone to someone from a rural area or whatever. But with Scott, of course, representing Atlanta, parts of Atlanta. And, 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 and now we'll see if Marsha Fudge is to be Secretary of Agriculture. Again, the idea of the Agriculture Department being that cabinet position that is responsible for helping to feed people. Scott is going to drive that agenda. And Greg Meeks, our frat brother again, uh, being here at Foreign Affairs, is interesting, isn't it? Because Meeks doesn't get that position, perhaps, if Elliot Ingalls is still there, and it was young Jamal Bowman that bodied Elliot Ingalls out of New York and who was chair of that committee, and now Greg Meeks moves into that position. Love to see what he's going to do and help drive policy, particularly around Africa. That's going to be key. I hope it's not business as usual for the Democrats when it comes to foreign policy related to Africa and the Caribbean.
3: And again, we appreciate all CBC members, uh, but it is, uh, something important for us, uh, when you've got Gregory Meeks, uh, chairing committee, when you've got, uh, when you've got, um, uh, David Scott, another alpha chairing the committee, and then Bobby Scott, uh, as well. And Benny Thompson chairs Homeland Security. I'll go ahead, uh, and give the captain (laughs) some love there. All right, uh, (laughs) folks, again, uh, let's talk, let's talk about, we're waiting to hear from her. Uh, she'll be connecting with us real soon. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty of Ohio. Chair of the CBC, Sam. I found this to be real interesting because there are a lot of other CBC members with more seniority, but Beatty has not been in Congress long, but she has certainly distinguished herself rather quickly.
4: You know, it, it's really interesting. the The chairperson of the CBC does not necessarily have to have all that tenure. What they have to have is the ability to get something done, and I think that's that's what has distinguished uh, Representative Bailey. I think that she wouldn't have gotten it if she didn't have the support of the other members. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be there 20 years or 10 terms or uh, for a long tenure. It's a matter of being able to get things done. And that's probably more critical at this particular point than at any other point. I'm interested in hearing her her talk about how she can move uh, things in the House when things get stalemated on the other side in the Senate. Uh, what 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 kind of uh, efforts does it take to to show leadership in when you've got divided government?
3: Um, the thing here is, uh, and first of all, we're actually gonna, uh, we actually going to we, we, we uh, actually had her booked. Uh, we're going to push her to uh, be on the show uh, on Monday. Uh, and uh, uh, Mustafa, uh, I've worked with Congressman Beatty a whole lot. She was very tough uh, on media companies, came before. Uh, the uh, committees that she was on, challenging them when it came to diversity uh, with these various companies. She also understands the flow of money and how power uh, uh, connects when it comes to money.
5: Yes. You know, she's very uh, reminiscent of uh, Shirley Chisholm, Um, you know, one of the first founding members of the CBC uh, and having sort of a holistic way of looking at a number of different issues, but also understanding where those levers of power are. So when you can make sure that you're properly engaging around media-related issues, you understand the power that's there. And then when you also tie that to the economics and have a good grasp of that, and I'll just call out also that she's very strong also in education and public health, two critical elements, not only just for our communities, but for the country as a whole. So I think she's actually an excellent choice uh, because I see her having the ability to work with so many different people uh, on these very critical sets of issues.
3: I go back to, again, I go back to the point about uh, understanding history, understanding power, Greg. And and look, the reality is th- those of us, all of us here uh, ingrained in politics understands the nuance, understands the dynamic and how all of these, these different things work. But for the average person out there, they're like, okay, so what? Somebody is uh, committee chair. So what? Uh, someone is chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. But what we have to realize is that Politics is about the nuance of power, and that is you can decide, no, I don't want that to actually hit the floor. Look, 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 look on the Senate side. Here's a guy, Mitch McConnell, elected from a small state, Kentucky, who literally because he controls the Senate and Democrats control the House, he actually wields more power. On public policy in America, then Pelosi or even president elect, because he can say like he's done. nope, this is not going to come before the floor. And so when you understand that is how you use it. Again, when you look at history, when you look at, as we said, how Adam Clayton Powell used it. Uh, uh, When you look at uh, uh, members of Congress who came uh, from Maryland, uh, who came from uh, uh, other places, when it came to MWBE, when it came to business, when you look at the late Congressman uh, 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 Payne, who was a huge advocate of Africa, in fact, his nickname was Uh, Mr. Africa, Uh, I was talking about Marilyn Perrin-Mitchell, the role that he played. We could go down in history and people really don't quite understand uh, what happens, how you use your political power. And so for everybody who's watching us, it's important that African-Americans are in these leadership positions so we uh, can get various things, which means those of us who are also advocates have to be aggressive in knowing Who to go to when it comes to power because you might be talking to one person when they ain't the person who really controls the purse strings.
6: (laughs) Roland you really are man bringing back a lot of memories for me when I first came to Howard I would sit for hours with Alvin Thornton in political science and and the late Ralph Gone in sociology and listen to them talk about how in the early days of the Congressional Black Caucus that CBC sought out HBCU professors, and in fact, sought out from professors at Howard to help set up a think tank. Because they said, we are, we're not just representing our district, we're representing black America. And black people generally, given America's outsized influence in foreign policy. And so, when you saw Ron Dell coming out of the Bay Area, when you saw, as you say, a Perrin Mitchell, who really is an understudied figure for a lot of people, wh- what you see is these individuals went into Congress as Shirley Chisholm, as you heard uh, Mustafa talk about, you see, they come into Congress representing more than their district. And so when, when, you, when you and when you talk about Adam Clayton Powell, I mean, Adam Clayton Powell makes um, uh, Mitch McConnell look like a child because Adam Clayton Powell understood that to wield power, you simply have to use the stick. And sometimes if you can't use the stick, you have to kind of cajole and you have to do what you need to do. In fact, Powell is really a case study for anybody who wants to talk about how to wield political power, particularly when you're a black person. That's one of the reasons they had to get him out of the paint. They had to get him out of the federal legislature because of the power he wielded. But, you know, when we're thinking now at 2020, Joyce Beatty, and I agree with what Sam said, Brother Sam said, you know, you've got 57 members of this congressional black caucus, and this is the largest uh, knot of people in the, uh, the House of Representatives, and they uh, have the potential to sway any legislation on the House side. And then finally, you know, that's going to come. And when, when you had Representative Beatty on the show a couple of weeks ago, she talked about that. She says, I'm looking forward to working with these young progressives, because I was there once. And, and like Sam said, that capacity to hold the line for folks, we saw it uh, today with Nancy Pelosi, who's been able to hold the line for the Democrat, And now she's saying, well, maybe we'll, you know, take this bill and we'll, we'll think about this compromise. And people are saying, well, you, you could have got almost twice that a couple of uh, last month. But her response is, yeah. Well, her basic response was, we had to get Joe Biden elected. That's the kind of ruthlessness <laughs> we're going to have to see from the federal legislature on the House side. And if they don't get those two seats in the, uh, on the Senate side, the Democrats, somebody like Joyce Beatty is going to wield an, an outsized amount of influence when it comes to keeping that block together to push things forward, particularly when folks start to waver and say, well, maybe we'll compromise. Joyce Beatty is, you know, in, in, in the CBC's 50th year, it's gonna be a challenge for her, but she seems to be more than up to that challenge.
3: I'm glad you brought that up and when it came to that, uh, this b- bill uh, that's now coming before Congress. Sam, we're talking about $908 billion, but here's the deal, though. Everybody keeps talking about, oh, bi- bipartisan, they almost had an agreement, but there are issues with this bill one of the things that Republicans desperately wanted was to grant immunity to companies when it comes to COVID. This is one of the points where a lot of Democrats say they simply cannot waiver. Sam, in your estimation, what we're seeing so far, is this a good deal for Black America?
4: Uh, Oh, Roland, that's a tough question. Um, It is the best deal we can get at the moment. Um, Sometimes you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the just good. And I think that this is just good. Uh, Nancy Pelosi sort of put it this way. She's willing to take this because she thinks she can get more. Uh, She's banking on the, the two seats in the Senate under a Biden administration, and she thinks she can get more. She wants to take what she can get now. Is this the perfect bill? Absolutely not. No, it is not. It is far less. Than what Democrats have been demanding and insisting on today. Is it as good as what they could have gotten before? Maybe, but that might have, as you said, that may not have been the most prudent political move to make. At this point, when people are hurting, when people need some relief from in, in the COVID situation, yes, this is about as good as it can get, but it is not the ideal piece of legislation. Uh, I, I want to expound on something else. M- that Mustafa? We were talking about. Go ahead. If, you, if you will, give Go me ahead. just a second on this. The, the influence of the CBC, and we've talked about this a good bit, but I want to make a point here. This this congressional session that is coming up is going to be probably one of the most powerful for the CBC. And let me argue why that might be. You have a, a president who has already said that he is dependent on the black vote. The CBC, as, as uh, Brother Carr mentioned and Brother Ali has mentioned, has wielded this sort of national voice for African Americans all across the country. That voice is now going to be refracted through um, Congressman uh, Congresswoman Beatty on behalf of all people, and it will be heard in a different way uh, at the White House than I think any CBC voice has been heard uh, in, in at least in the last four uh, presidential terms. And I think that's really important and something we ought to pay attention to.
3: Um, the Mustafa, your assessment of this particular bill, um, again, uh, I've heard from uh, others uh, who say that it actually hurts poor folks. Uh, so your your assessment on that, uh, Mustafa? You
5: know, we're, we're in a very tough situation over the last couple of weeks. I've spent a lot of time with doctors and nurses and other folks in the medical field, and literally our our infrastructure is collapsing. Um, and the states don't have the resources that are necessary to be able to shore that up and to be able to be able to help folks. So on that side of the equation, you know, we need those dollars to, to get to those folks who are on the front lines in our medical, uh, you know, professions that are doing this. On the other side, you know, folks are just at the end of their rope when it comes to Being able to pay the rent, being able to put food on the table, all the very critical elements that, you know, unfortunately, this set of dollars is not going to represent in a way uh, to actually help people. And then just let me make one last point around this liability stuff. And I just want to remind folks, you remember when you had workers inside of the poultry plants and some of these other meat packing plants that were getting these diseases and you had uh, these businesses and industries that were forcing them back to work. Um, And you see it with many other frontline workers. So if we allow the liability clause to be able to move forward, then those folks who are put in those dangerous situations won't be able to sue, won't ever be able to, you know, actually recoup many of the things they lost, some of them in their health, others um, in relationship to, you know, to the dollars that were necessary. So we need to really pay uh, particular attention to that um, because that is a, a very, very difficult a thing to accept when
3: you actually work with frontline folks. Uh, Greg, this is what the New York Times says right now. It says, the $908 billion compromise is not even a legislative proposal yet. It is a bipartisan framework assembled by a group of senators led by Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, and Joe Manchin III, Democrat of West Virginia. Many of its details are still being negotiated, including how the government ought to distribute more aid to small businesses. Uh, and so then of course uh, you know it goes uh, once the bill uh, comes up so it's going to originate uh, in the Senate here's the problem ain't no guarantee that it's going to actually pass in the house
6: no and this is where we really I agree I agree with Ali I agree with Sam this bill is this bill is trash but somebody's getting ready to be evicted December 31st Somebody's unemployment benefits run out the 31st of this month. You know, for those of us who will be able to pay our rent, it's one thing to say, oh, no, we we need to hold the line. It's quite another thing to say, as Sam has said, you know, let's get these folks to stay indoors. Let's get these unemployment benefits extended. And there are other things, maybe $10 billion for the post office. Other things, you know, food assistance is very serious. And then January 20th, let's get the hard reset. But there is no guarantee. Mitch McConnell has demonstrated that he picks his whiteness over, over your life and my life and the life of people who are it, 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 without hope at this moment. And so, you know, there has to be some momentum. The so-called problem-solvers... Look, first of all, those people in Maine showed us what they think about the rest of the country by sending Susan Collins back down here. And in Collins' mansion, if we get these two seats... You talk about Democrats getting the two seats out of Georgia... That's the future of what's going to happen on the Senate side. Joe Manchin can't be trusted but, because that, that's where, where the power is going to be. But, you know, it seems to me that they have to go forward if they can. And you're absolutely right. What the progressives on the House side are going to have to do is balance the future aspiration for the short term. Because there are people, as we just heard from our brothers, who are suffering, who are suffering. So I mean, if we have to do this at this moment, do it, and live to fight another day.
3: All right, folks. Let's talk about uh, Georgia, where we are. Of course, we are here. We're going to be tomorrow live streaming the Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff rally at one p.m. Eastern. So, folks, uh, you definitely want to look forward to that. To that today, though, that was a virtual rally that took place. Uh, It it featured uh, President Barack Obama, uh, Nakima Williams, who was gonna be replacing the late Congressman John Lewis uh, in uh, Congress, and a number of others. Here is some of that uh, virtual
2: uh, rally. And uh, it is wonderful to see uh, John and Reverend, uh, two candidates who not only know their stuff, not only have specific plans around advancing health jobs and justice, uh, but have shown a lifetime commitment to making sure that all people have a seat at the table, uh, who for a lifetime have dedicated their life to service, uh, who have displayed again and again and again that they care about people, including or maybe especially the least of these, uh, and uh, have the kind of integrity that we want to see in public service. I think I have uh, a couple of jobs here. The first... um, is to send a message from the nation that we sure are proud of Georgia because the coalition that you described, Stacy, the excitement, commitment, turnout, the insistence on, on creating uh, coalitions, rather than divisions among people of different backgrounds and ethnicities and income brackets uh, and regions, uh, all of that uh, describes a vision of what not just Georgia can be, but what America can be. And you did so under some difficult circumstances, because historically, as we know, it's not as if Uh, all the machinery of Georgia government uh, has done everything it can to encourage people to participate in the voting process. Uh, And and so uh, that kind of movement spirit uh, combined with great tactics and strategy and hard work and a message about how You know, we need a politics that works for ordinary people, not for insiders, not for the high and mighty, but for everybody. Uh, Good afternoon,
7: Georgia, and and thanks to everybody for joining us today. I'm honored, of course, to be with Stacy and uh, with John uh, in this fight together. And all of us are deeply honored, as always, to be with President Barack Obama, who inspires us all in so many ways. Uh, I want to thank our Uh, Congresswoman, uh, Nakeema Williams, uh, Congresswoman-elect. And I want to thank Atlanta's uh, great Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms uh, for taking the time uh, this afternoon to help us to get out to vote. Well, I've been traveling all across the state. I have been making my way into cities and towns. And uh, when I go into these small towns, often they're surprised that I'm there, I'm surprised that they're surprised. Uh, They say that they're not accustomed to people running for the Senate or serving, dropping by these little towns. Which is strange to me because John and I are running to be the next two senators for the whole state of Georgia. And uh, as I encounter people and their stories, I've been thinking a whole lot lately about my dad. Uh, I grew up as one of 12 children in public housing. We were short on money but long on faith. And we had a deep sense of values and hard work. My dad used to wake me up every morning, seven days a week, 6 a.m. And he'd say, son, get up, get dressed, put your shoes on, and get ready. And uh, sometimes I didn't understand. It was Saturday morning. I said, get ready for what? He said, I don't know. I'll figure it out a little bit later, but just get ready. And he just wanted me to be ready. And uh, that was a life lesson that I've taken with me all of my journey. And I just want to say to Georgians this afternoon that it's time for all of us to get ready. To put our shoes on. Uh, the battle is not over. Uh, we've got a race in front of us and we intend to win. And we need all Georgians to recognize this, this deciding moment this inflection point in our country. And Georgia's at the center of that inflection point. If you want to protect healthcare coverage for the 1.8 million Georgians with a pre-existing condition, get your shoes on and get ready. If you want pandemic relief for the Georgians who've had to close their doors to the dream business that they started from scratch, put your shoes on and get ready. If you're concerned about our teachers and our frontline workers and their ability to do the work that they're so deeply committed to, it's time for you to put your shoes on and get ready. If you want a US Senate, that takes on the challenges our country is facing and will partner with President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris to deliver for Georgia. Uh, We need to put our shoes on and get ready to vote. Uh, The wind is at our back. The momentum is with us. The other side knows it. They're running scared and they should be. Uh, But this is our moment. We're delighted that Georgia's on everybody's mind. And we need all Georgians to stand up in this defining moment in American history and win the future for all of our children. Again, thank you all for joining us, and I look forward to the conversation.
0: My mother was about 23 years old when she came to this country alone as an immigrant. Because for her, America represented hope. She believed we were on a country on a journey making progress to fully realize our founding ideals, that we were equal in God's eyes, that opportunity and rights were given equally to all of us. That's the vision of this country that drew my mother here as a young woman. She became an activist and marched for the Equal Rights Amendment. She became a businesswoman. She became a citizen because she recognized that the ballot box is where we push this country forward. And what happened in these last four years as our country has been ripped apart by fear and division, broke my mother's heart. And what's happened in this last year as the catastrophic failure of our leaders has compounded the death toll and the economic damage from this pandemic has broken so many hearts. But if you're wondering what you've been feeling in your heart these last four weeks, maybe an unfamiliar feeling that you haven't felt in a while, that is called hope. And it reminds us of what we felt 12 years ago when Barack Obama ran for president at a time of war and recession and financial crisis and put hope in our hearts. And Georgia right now represents the hope of the nation because what's happening in Georgia is such a beautiful clarification of where the American South is and where our state is. You got the young Jewish journalist son of an immigrant running alongside a Black preacher who holds Dr. King's pulpit at Ebenezer Baptist Church, leading a grassroots movement for health, jobs, and justice in the midst of a crisis. And we're running against like the Bonnie and Clyde of political corruption in America, who represent politicians who put themselves over the people. We have the chance in Georgia to stand up and make a difference, to define a future where all of us have equal justice under the law, where all of us can get the healthcare that we need, to leave future generations a clean and beautiful planet, to make sure everyone has access to dignified work that pays a living wage, to empower the health experts to get us out of this crisis and get economic relief to people who need it. That's what's on the line. I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this moment. Let's make history and win these races and write the next chapter in American history together. Thank you so much, Stacy, Reverend and Mr. President.
3: Greg Carr, if you want to understand how major this is, uh, check this out. Go to my iPad. Uh, Fair Fight. That is the group Stacy Abrams uh, created. They re- three hundred and fifty seven thousand new donors in 39 days. Uh, they raised uh, nearly $40 million uh, as a result. This is what the press release says. In total, Fair Fight raised 34500000 million. They've got $22.1 million cash on hand. Why is this important? Because money uh, went from them, uh, went to groups like uh, Asian American Advocacy Fund, Black Voters Matter Fund, Coalition for the People's Agenda, Fair Count, Georgia Association, Latino elected officials, uh, and on and on and on. Georgia NAACP and others to drive grassroots. Uh, and so that is critical because the campaigns are spending money. You have, you have a, a group like Fair Fight. The whole goal, again, we have just 72 hours left. And that is to folks to register by Monday. Monday is the deadline to register. Abrams previously also said some 900,000 people have requested absentee ballots. Uh, and so you're seeing the kind of energy that is happening here on the ground in Georgia, Greg, that could very well be the tipping point uh, to put Ossoff and Warnock over the top in defeating incumbent Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler.
6: Absolutely. And I'm going to take this opportunity to encourage everyone watching to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, because the there's a reason you, are, you have moved operations to the state of Georgia. This is the only daily news show we have. And as a result, people are getting more information in the two hours that you're on every day than from all the other, the network news entertainment media combined. Resources matter. And in this particular instance, of course, it, it's staggering to see the amount of money is being poured into Georgia. At the same time, we have to understand that, as you said, you've said it over and over again, as all your guests these last few weeks, ground game is going to be everything. You know, John Ossoff sounds like a white Obama. And that's an improvement on Barack Obama, if for no other reason than he's a white man. When we look at, and first of all, ignore the poll, because they're saying that, you know, uh, that Warnick is up and Asif is in a heat. No, 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 no. Please understand the white lie, the little white lie effect. We're gonna retire the Bradley effect. The fact that white people lie to polls. Even with the lie effect, black people, uh, the-the lead running had is 83, uh, percent. Uh, 83 percent lead, according to this poll that just came out. Asif has an 87-point lead. What does that mean? At least, how am I reading that? I'm reading it in part as uh, a kind of sense that whiteness gives you a little bit of an advantage. But now this thing is going to be won by who knocked on the most doors, who turns the most voters out. If you're 18 years old, and you, I mean, if you turn 18 before Election Day, you can vote, so make sure you sign up and register in Georgia. And we're going to see whether or not that New South, which is coming, is going to come in January 2021, or in 2022, or in 2024, but it's coming. This is white supremacy's last stand in Georgia. Electoral white supremacy anyway, and they're going to fight like hell. Although it seems like Donald Trump will come down there and help them ruin it in the next couple of days because they are a mess, as you see.
3: The reality is, um, Mustafa, uh, Donald Trump is going to be here tomorrow. Uh, He'll be campaigning on behalf of Kelly Leffler and David Perdue in Valdosta, but here's the whole deal. Uh, You can expect that he's probably gonna have his grief, uh, you know, all of his grievances, uh, whining, complaining as best he always is. And so some people, some Republicans are already saying Please, oh, please, I hope he doesn't do that. hope he actually mentions Leftler uh, and Purdue. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, here, uh, if that happens, uh, in terms of what happens there. Not only that, they still have their shenanigans up. Uh, if, if y'all really want a good laugh, Mustafa, I think you're going to get a kick out of this one. Uh, let, me, let me pull this up because uh, it just came down. First of all, Donald Trump and his legal team, they'll be getting crushed in the courts uh, all day long uh losing in state after state after state after state uh and so I saw this press release and give me a second I'm trying to pull it up uh this is so laughable I mean seriously I think on this Friday if people uh need a very good laugh uh I think we uh we 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 have one for you uh these what what these idiots have actually I get it's a shame how stupid they are Uh, and it's unfortunate that we have to deal, uh, with, uh, with their stupidity, uh, and their nonsense. Uh, but, uh, let me show y'all this here. Uh, the Trump, go ahead, go ahead, uh, and switch to the iPad. The Trump campaign, y'all, is filing a lawsuit in Georgia asking them to throw out the entire election. (laughs) Stop, but really, that's, that's their latest. They've they've been getting embarrassed everywhere, every they've been embarrassed everywhere, all over the country, Uh, losing today in Michigan, losing today in Minnesota, losing in state after state after state. Uh, You know, I don't mind them losing more. But really, you actually think like they're 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 literally asking them to throw out the entire election and do a do over a do over. Really? (laughs)
5: Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it, it's not even hard to respond to that kind of foolishness. You know, I don't even know where he finds his legal team at. I'm like, there are uh, first year law students who know a little bit more about how this stuff runs than evidently than these folks do. It's it, it's just it's it's nonsensical the things they continue to do, and, and Trump is like this journeyman. Boxer who's just been punched too many times in the head, and one person comes up to him and says, you know what, you could still be champ. And he believes (laughs) it, and he keeps going. So, you know, I hope that he does go on down to Georgia, and I hope that he does not uh, use, you know... uh, 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 um, I hope he doesn't use the talking points that they've given him. I hope he just says what he truly believes, because that will seal, uh, you know, the race for uh, folks... Uh, Brother Warnock and Ossoff. And also, let me just call out also Brother Daniel Blackman, who's running for the Public Service Commission, who will be the first African-American ever elected to that position uh, if if he wins as well. So I hope Trump goes. I hope Trump uh, doesn't, uh, you know, uh, say anything positive and and folks take that to actually understand that he doesn't care about their party. He never did, doesn't care about the community, um, and doesn't care about our country.
3: If I can, if I can, um, this, I, I, I Sam, Sam, I'm about to go to you, but I got to read this here. This literally came from uh, the Wisconsin Supreme court and conservative justice, Brian Haydorn. I, I just want to read this because if, if, it's it, even Republicans are saying how stupid these folks are. This is what he wrote in his uh, where they rejected the latest uh, lawsuit. Nonetheless, I feel compelled to share a further observation Something far more fundamental than the winner of Wisconsin's electoral votes is implicated in this case. At stake, in some measure, is faith in our system of free and fair elections a feature central to the enduring strength of our constitutional republic. It can be easy to blithely move on to the next case with a petition, so obviously lacking, but this is sobering. The relief being sought by the petitioners is the most dramatic invocation of judicial power I have ever seen. Judicial acquiescence to such entreaties built on so flimsy a foundation would do indelible damage to every future election. Once the door is open to judicial invalidation of presidential election results, it will be awfully hard to close that door again. This is a dangerous path we are being asked to tread. The loss of public trust in our constitutional order resulting from the exercise of this kind of judicial power would be incalculable. I do not mean to suggest this court should look the other way no matter what, but if there is a sufficient basis to invalidate an election, it must be established with evidence and arguments commensurate with the scale of the claims and the relief sought. These petitioners have come nowhere close while the rough and tumble world of electoral politics may be the prism through which many view this litigation, it cannot be so for us. In these hallowed halls, the law must rule. Sam Fullwood. Roland,
4: I, I'm gonna have to push back on, uh, on the thesis of your argument about how laughable and, and silly and foolish they are. Um, I think this is far more okay. serious than it is um uh, something that's comical at all Trump doesn't expect to invalidate the the election he doesn't expect to win what he wants to do is to build an army of of ignorant believers and he is succeeding at that there are people out there uh I mean I'm amazed that there were 75 million Americans who thought this guy should be president. Trump keeps talking about getting 75 million votes. That's what he's counting on. And so it is to his advantage to stoke the the fames of nullification of an election to keep his supporters charged up. He has raised, what is it, $130
3: million since the election? No, 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 no. No, no, no. $170 million there, and they're on the way to 200 Okay.
4: O- almost $200 million. He'll have $200 million in in the next week. $200 million. And the the vast bulk of that money is not going to overturning the election. It's going into some kind of pack that he has created in order to stoke, the, to, to sort of be a shadow government against. Um, the Biden administration. That's not funny. That is, that is definitely serious and frightening.
1: Uh, oh, no, 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 no no. No,
3: see, no, 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 Let me real clear. What I am calling laughable are the legal attempts and also the arguments that they are making. Oh, there is no doubt we know exactly what they're trying to do. We clearly yeah. know that what they are trying to do is sow seeds of discontent and then, but but see, that's what he has done. Here's the deal. This ain't but new. It doesn't matter. The reality it is this not, here. When he started, no, 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 no. Here's, here's what I mean, here's what I mean. When he started with his whole deal about fake news, it was designed to get his rabid followers to say, we believe nothing any of them say. So what he has done is for the last four years, really, let's go back further, for the last six years, what he has done is create a group of people who have no common sense, No knowledge who are who are zombies following him. And the problem here, the greater issue is that the Republican Party, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and on and on and on. They have allowed this thug to do these things. And because of their naked power grab have said nothing, and so their lack of institutional control, their lack of morals and values and principles have allowed what should be crazy wacky to become actually the norm. I I, I totally agree
4: with that, and I think that uh, their arguments in court, yeah, they are ridiculous, but they're designed... In a, in a ridiculousness like a fox to appeal to those low-information supporters that they have. Um, and it's, all of this stuff is going to get thrown out in the courts, but his supporters will say, see, that's deep state courts. And there is a, a response that they have to everything that is done that is contrary to any Democratic notion that we have held heretofore. And I think that that's very, very alarming. I think that's what people really need to keep their eye on.
3: Yeah. But but Greg, we talk about this all the time, and, and, and what this is, this is absolutely about trying to preserve as long as they can whiteness, trying to control the levers of power. That's why Mitch McConnell did what he did when it came to those federal judges. That's why, Uh, Many of us, we make the argument that a Joe Biden, for all of us talk about being able to work with Republicans. And then after Trump, they're going to return to the way they used to. No, they have made it perfectly clear. This is how they are going to operate in the future. And the fact that Mitch McConnell and most top Republicans still won't even say president elect Joe Biden is all you need to know about who they are.
6: That's right. That's right, Roland. Uh, Donald Trump will come to Georgia tomorrow and he will be Donald Trump, as Mustafa said. As you said, he's going to whine, he, said, he may not, he, he may mention loft or he may not mention Lafayette. And to Sam's point, it won't matter. The, 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 the tricky calculus that, uh, that they have today, and, you know, maybe a little slippage with Purdue over the last 24 hours, did he or did he not acknowledge Biden, this kind of thing. The challenge that uh, both Purdue and Loeffler have now is how do you stir up those white nationalists to come to the poll when some of those ignorant folks actually believe Trump? That's their problem now. I mean, can, can, can they get drug across the finish line? That's why Osip and Warnick and that get out the vote operation have to break the back of those white nationalists by turning out the people to vote. So that's one thing. But to Sam's point, and to the point you're making as well, when we think about this, we understand that Donald Trump is not the beginning of Republican gaslighting. Mitch McConnell, that deathless white nationalist, has been gaslighting the entire country for years. He stole a Supreme Court seat in broad daylight. He, the, the, the speeches that Mitch McConnell has been delivering over the last several years sound just like Donald Trump without the sweat and all the permutation. He simply calls daytime night and nighttime day from the ha- from the floor of the United States Senate. Donald Trump is not a problem for them in the long run because if they if it is not the way they view the world, they will simply ignore. They will simply ignore. Donald Trump didn't uh, introduce anything in American politics. He simply accelerated the inevitable. They are going to fight for whiteness until their death. Many of them are ignorant. Others of them are not. They understand that it doesn't matter, that the law is a fiction, except as interpreted by the courts and enforceable by the rest of the political apparatus once the courts have decided. And what they have demonstrated, finally, is that if they have the power, a Kyle Rittenhouse can get bait. and a Khalid Browder cannot. A Kyle Rittenhouse can get bait. and the sister who tried to vote and didn't, know. no, she going to jail. In other words, this has nothing to do <coughs> with truth or morals. This has everything to do with power and they're gonna choose their whiteness over your life and mine, brother. And they're gonna do it until we stop them. That's the only thing going. going, there's no appealing to them, uh, Democrat. You gotta break their back.
3: And that, Mustafa, breaking their backs breaking their back. is because you, we have to put this in perspective, Mustafa, not the next two years. Not the next four years, but what we are seeing is that the decisions being made today are going to have a clear and direct impact on our children's children. And folk better be thinking that far down the line when you see the actions happening today. Go ahead.
5: Well, Brother John Lewis, uh, share with us the, the vote is precious, the most powerful nonviolent tool we have in our democracy. And if we begin to understand the power that exists inside of that, And we also began to understand the building of infrastructure for the long term. So that's why I'm excited when we see, you know, this amount of resources finally coming into Georgia. And I hope folks will also build it out in other parts of the South, really begin to invest. Um, Because brothers and sisters were there doing all this hard work. Stacy and Latasha and Brenda and all these other folks, you know, for years getting this infrastructure in place. So for this particular transformational moment if folks actually get out and vote and get those 50 senators uh, you know in, on the on the senate side and then understand that that's just the first step that in 2022 and 2024 and 2028 that we got to continue to build until you have enough power that you can actually hopefully right this ship that is america
3: Folks, got to go to break. We come back. Let's talk uh, new unemployment numbers. What are the numbers looking like for African-Americans? Also, the next hour, we'll talk with Michael Collier about his uh, new holiday movie. Lots more to talk about on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, where we are covering the Georgia runoff race uh, for uh, with, with uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered in a moment.
8: You cannot fulfill your life if you're not willing to engage in the tactics and strategies that makes your own life grow and helps you to build the community in which you want to live. Voting is a singular method for a people locally and regionally to govern themselves.
7: Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a value we all try to live by, but in Washington, it's been forgotten. It's clear, our politics are broken, overcome by a selfishness that rewards money and power, leaving far too many of us out of the conversation. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I see you. I see too many communities left behind, too many hardworking people ignored. I'm running for Senate to be your voice. That's why I approve this message.
9: We're at Mom's Kitchen in Preston, Georgia. It's a family business. I enjoy making people happy, giving them a good meal. But since COVID, we had to close our main dining room. We lost all of that business, and we used to do a lot of caterings. We can't do any of that anymore. David Perdue knew what was about to happen. He was getting classified briefings about the pandemic. But instead of him being concerned about us, he off-selling stock. We had no idea we'd have to close our businesses off. We'd lose caterings, and so many people died. And then when we needed help the most, he fought against the stimulus checks and to cut unemployment insurance. Purdue needs to come out and Ossoff in. Early voting starts December 14th. you got to make a plan to vote.
0: I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message.
9: One senator in particular irks me, a Senator Kelly Loeffler, not elected, but appointed just a couple months ago.
0: Calls across the political spectrum for the resignation of Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler of Georgia. Loeffler, her husband's the chairman of the New York Stock
2: Exchange. I know that sounds like a joke about rich people in an Adam Sandler movie. That's a real thing. He owns the stock exchange. So they're two regular down-home folks. One of the first
0: things they did after they found out just how bad the coronavirus would be during closed-door Senate briefings was sell a huge amount of stock.
1: You
3: sold over a million
1: dollars in stocks in your own personal portfolio before the market went down.
2: They were making a bunch of moves in the stock market to make sure their portfolios were protected INSTEAD OF MAKING SURE YOU'RE PROTECTED. NEW CONGRESSIONAL DISCLOSURES SHOW THAT law Force SOLD FAR MORE STOCK THAN WE INITIALLY KNEW.
9: $18.7 MILLION IN STOCK TRADES, WHILE they are those who would dismiss it and say, well, she's worth so much more. I've never met a wealthy person who didn't want more money.
1: Not only did she sell stuff, but then she bought stuff. And one of the items she bought was to help people who have to work at home software. There's a reason
3: Kelly Loeffler spending 25 plus or 30
6: million billion in this. because she don't want people to know about her past.
9: So she owns part of Atlanta's WNBA team. And there are calls for her to give up that ownership now.
8: Truth is
1: with Kelly Woffler, Her own ambitions and her own elite friends come first, and the president, the rest of us come second.
9: Folks, this woman is knee-deep in the swamp and she just got there. We should have leaders who actually respect the people.
0: If Loeffler knew about these trades, she should leave
7: office. The voters of Georgia had the opportunity to ballot box you out.
0: I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is
6: Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs>
3: All right, then I want to go ahead and uh, go ahead and play that for you, for uh, you, Greg, uh, Mustafa and uh, and Sam, uh, my man, uh, uh, Will Packer posted that on his um, uh, Instagram page. And so I, I, I figured it, we, we just got had to go ahead and do that. Uh, and so on um, today, finalist day of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, the first collegiate black Greek letter organization is really Alpha and the rest of them, as I always say, Who's your daddy? All right, let's talk about uh, economics. Unemploy- uh, uh, <laughs> Jobless Report came out today, uh, and we're always covering these things, uh, of course, on this show, uh, giving you a breakdown because what happens when you watch these other networks, They talk about the unemployment numbers, but they never really talk about us black people, uh, and so we want to do that. Uh, Binga uh, 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 Adjelore, he is a Senior Economist for the Center for American Progress. He joins us right now. Uh, Doc, what's going on? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. All right, got new numbers. What does it say for black folks?
1: So it's really sad. They're the only group that still have double-digit unemployment rates. And this is we're talking about nine months into the pandemic. 10.3%, while it's six point you know, seven percent for national down to about six percent
3: for white people. So So Latinos are under, they're now in single digits, Asian-Americans single digits, African-Americans, the only uh, uh, racial group that's in double digits.
1: Right. So for Latinos, it's 8.4 percent. For Asians, 6.7 percent. And again, African-Americans, 10.3 percent. For black men, it's 11.2 percent. What
3: about black women and what about black youth?
1: So for black women, it's 9 percent and black youth is about 17 percent. So again, 9 percent is still really high. That's what it was for white people back in the summer.
3: Uh, in terms of growth areas, uh, or in terms of where, uh, well, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, where jobs were actually produced, uh, was it a matter of jobs being returned that we lost during the pandemic? Uh, where was the job creation?
1: It was actually very little job creation. Only about 245,000 total jobs were created. And so some of that was in construction, as we've seen a lot of building going on. Um, But one of the things is just that it's just all across the board, jobs are being continued to be lost, and we're not getting that recovery. And a lot of it is because there's just no fiscal policy that we, to see of.
3: Uh, And, but but I thought Trump was doing so great with the Blacks.
1: No, he's not, and it's it's just you know you mentioned earlier that being laughable, this is laughable. I mean, African Americans have been hammered, hit hard, and this has been going on throughout the whole pandemic. and the worst part is that the federal government can do something about it. and even the House has been trying to pass a lot of bills, and the Senate has done nothing. They just you know Mitch McConnell talked about it before as the Senate is the graveyard for house bills, but we're talking about a pandemic. We're talking about people losing food, rent, and struggling and the actual bills that were passed in March that actually helped this economy out are all going to expire at the end of this month.
3: Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull up something here and uh, uh, Bill Spriggs. I'll put this on my iPad in just a second. Bill Spriggs uh, tweeted this out. And, and it's one of those things that also I think it puts into perspective uh, for a lot of people who may not quite understand uh, these things and so just to I'm gonna go to it in a second and it is stunning when you think about it. so you've already laid out in terms of exactly uh, what those numbers look like uh, for African Americans um, uh, go to my iPad, please. this is stunning here. this is what he said. the black unemployment rate in November was ten point three percent still above the national unemployment rate for high school dropouts. that means that, the overall, the black unemployment rate in America is higher than it is for high school dropouts.
1: Yep. Bill is correct. And one of the things that he's talked about, and I've talked about too and written about, is that our labor market is designed that way. It's designed to create these labor market disparities that African Americans are worse off. And this pandemic, throughout this nine months, we've seen this play out automatically. And that's why we really have to have a lot of fiscal policy. We have to pass a lot of stuff to help people out. And not just white people, but help everyone out.
3: Uh, Again, uh, not good as well, but uh, it's good for us to have the information and know what our agenda should be moving forward. Bingo Ajalori, we still appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Sam Footwood, I want to go to you. I mean, th- that last point there that uh, Bingo talked about and, and that uh, Bill Spreech talked about, the fact that the high school dropout unemployment rate is lower than the overall black unemployment rate.
4: That's not news. I mean, that has been a, a fact of economic history for quite a, fa- a while. Um, and that's the, that's the disarming thing about it. That's the alarming thing about it. Is that it's not it's not really news. It is old news that just keeps coming back around. In a in and it, it really is gut wrenching to know that that progress is not being made in the way that it ought to be made on that on those unemployment figures. There is a consistent. It difference, is not right. A, a consistent difference. Go ahead. Over go ahead. time, that the the even in good times, the black unemployment rate lags almost by uh, 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 two to one to what it is for whites. And it, it seems that no matter what and how often you say it, it doesn't seem to crack the code of how we deal with our economics in our, in our nation.
3: Uh, the reason, Mustafa, it is not news, but the reason I wanted to highlight that is because we have to be armed with the proper talking points and information when we're going up against and dealing with uh, policymakers, And I think we have to, that's one of the things that we have to keep driving home numbers like that because when people say, oh, you know, it stays, that, it's that," and Why are you complaining? No, 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 no. When you put in that, that perspective to say, wait a minute, that mean high school dropouts have a better chance of getting a job than the average black person? Come on, Doc.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful, you know, because you can see it uh, and, and you can feel it. And then you have to ask the question, what is it that we need to do about it? Well, folks voted and hopefully we will have an administration that gets focused on policy that actually uh, is going to make change inside the communities who have been unseen and unheard and who have been disinvested in. And we need to anchor this in the reality that even before COVID-19, the black-white wealth gap under the Trump administration, everybody go out and Google it, do your research was as large as in in 1968. So if you are in what was supposed to be, you know, the healthiest, most vibrant uh, economic set of actions, uh, you know, the way that they frame it out, and that there still had this huge gap between black wealth and white wealth, then that means that there's a new set of policies that are gonna be necessary to address the disparities that exist. And, And folks don't wanna do that hard work. They think just because a few black folks got a job and were able to work. Yes, that's important, but that doesn't get at building wealth inside of communities. That takes a uh, policy that is laser focused and understands these historical sets of disparities that have been built um, the, and causing these dynamics to happen.
3: Greg, we talk about that particular point, but also the stat that is critically important. That is uh, that a white high school graduate makes more a black college graduate. Again, you got to put these things in perspective, and I think that's where we challenge people, uh, and when we, when we have individuals, groups, who are choosing to go to the White House, or go to Congress, or go to state capitals, uh, county commissioner court, and city halls, or to go into corporate America, uh, we have to be able to articulate that, so when people say, well, you know, you're sitting here, you bring these things up, I don't really think that's big, big of a deal, when we say, wait a minute, a white high school graduate, on average, can make more money than a black college graduate. But I thought y'all keep telling us it's all about the college degree. Clearly, it's not.
6: No, this is just white nationalism. As Sam said, it's been since the beginning. You know, my students are often shocked, the undergraduates, when we look up statistics. A study was done 20 years ago almost now. And uh, someone with a quote-unquote black-sounding name who is, filling uh, an application, has the, has the same chance of getting an entry-level job as uh, a white person with a white man with a year-and-a-half uh, served-time prison record. I mean, whiteness is there. But the thing that strikes me is the economy's doing just fine, uh, Roland. As you said, commercial news, entertainment media uh, is reporting about the stock market. So the numbers that pop out to me and those commercials you ran are very important. Uh, first of all, parenthetically, the sister who said we need Purdue out and Ossoff in, that's the kind of tone and temperament you need to take. I mean, with all due respect, President Obama, you know, no joking. You know, just, just look into the camera and be serious. But that everybody hates Kelly piece, that too, very effective. But here's the number that strikes me. One trillion. What is one trillion? One trillion dollars is how much 650 billionaires in this country have made since March. A 34% increase in those 650 Billion, uh, of which 47 are new billionaires. Now, Amazon is hiring, so it isn't just about job, It's about living wage. Jeff Bezos, you know how much money he was worth at the beginning of this? About $69.4 billion. Do you know how much he's worth now? 182.4. Elon Musk at Tesla started wow. this pandemic at $24.6 He is now at 126.2. Billion. There are 7 million people facing eviction by the end of this year, and the voters of Maine, the white supremacist voters of Maine, like the rest of the white people who haven't voted for a Democratic president since Lyndon Johnson, put Susan Collins back in the Senate, and she's going to protect the interest of these billionaires. You want to understand why voting is important and why these next few weeks in Georgia are important? These people are in office to protect the billionaire, and the hillbillies don't have enough sense to realize that they have already been discarded. Now if we're gonna stand in harm's way after that. We just need to run the numbers. The economy's doing just fine, bro. Because we are roadkill. And that's what the Senate is there for, to ensure that we are.
3: And the reason I the reason I talk about uh those numbers and, and why they matter, um is, is because folk don't get it. They, they they don't understand, uh they don't understand the depth of these things. I I was um I was looking at a story earlier today and, and, and I, I could have, I didn't want to waste any time with it because I, I don't think she has really any understanding of the depths of race in this country. But Megan Kelly, uh, she did an interview with Carlos Watson on his show and she talked about how, oh, so many white Americans like her were sympathetic after the death of George Floyd, but that all changed when the riots took place and you know, it was we've got to have law in order, and I said white folks are real quick and easy to flip to the law and order deal because, frankly, what they don't that they don't really like protest, they don't like agitation, and, and I and I tweeted I said Megyn Kelly has no idea what the hell she's talking about uh, because and then she, now she did say that in order for these things to these changes to be made, it's going to require. uh, uh, white folks, uh, to be involved in it, which is, which is, which is true. The reality is this in the, in the, in the last presidential election, uh, 69, 70% of the total electorate was white. The numbers are the numbers. Okay. America has been a white nation. It has been a white nation. It's been defined by whiteness. It's been defined by white privilege. It's been defined by white supremacy. And that has been, that has been the reality. Here we are, here we are, I mean, on in this moment in time in 2020, today, December 4th, 2020. And we're looking at right now, really this nation moving towards, not becoming, but moving towards becoming a true multicultural America. But that number is going to have to go down further. By 2043, America, of whites will make up 47% of this country. You have Latinos, you have African-Americans, but even when it comes to Latinos, are they going to call themselves white Hispanic or are they going to say uh, they're non-white Hispanic? All those things matter, but we must always, pushing this data in the face of folks who say, what's wrong with you? Everything is good. Last point here, and Sam, Mustafa, and Greg, y'all can jump in as this here. Brett Pulley, his book, uh, Brett Pulley's book uh, on Bob Johnson, uh, and in that particular book, and I'm gonna try to find uh, the actual page uh, in that because a uh, frat brother, uh, Todd Brown, sent it to me, and we talk about this all the time, and people don't quite understand money and the black tax, and, and that is this here, and I'm looking for this photo, folks. He, this is gonna blow blow folks out there away In Brett's book on Bob Johnson. Uh, in BET called The Billion Dollar Bet, The Unauthorized Biography of BET. What he lays out in that particular book is that when BET was being sold to Viacom, Mel Carmerson, who was um, uh, the CEO of Viacom, and then you have Sumner Redstone, they talked about what could happen when they took control of BET. And what they said is that BET, which was in 70 million or so homes, they were receiving $1,500. Everybody who's out there listening, I need y'all to understand what I'm saying. They were receiving $1,500 for a 30-second ad on BET. MTV was receiving $8,000 for an an equivalent ad on on, uh, MTV. That means that corporate American advertisers were devaluing black people, $6,500 less on BET. Which means, Sam Fullwood, that we talk about BET being sold for $3.3 billion. The reality is that if BET had gotten its fair share for its blood for the black consumer. BET should have been sold for at least three times that amount, as opposed to what they were sold. So when white America is talking about, but oh my goodness, you look at Bob Johnson and Sheila Johnson, and you got Robert Smith, uh, you know Robert, uh, you know our frat brother. When you look at Oprah and and, and Tiger Woods and, and M- Michael Jordan. What they don't want to go to is what Greg just talked about. Oh yeah, Robert Smith is the wealthiest African American in the country, anywhere from five to seven billion. Oprah's two point five to three to three billion, but but on the billionaire list, Robert is the top, maybe at seven. Jeff Bezos, you just said, is hundred and eighty. Elon Musk and others, because they're getting full value for their whiteness.
4: You you laid it out. I mean, I don't know how to elaborate on that any more than what you said. Um, I think that people understand that uh, whiteness is um, profitable for the people who are in it. The, the examples that you cite uh, are the exceptions that help affirm white superiority, that when you can point to uh, Bob Johnson, it, it then makes a lot of those other people uh, feel that they are absolved of the ill-gotten gains that they have been able to get uh, through hook or cook or however means that they may. Um, and I think a lot of people are deceived uh, because the, the whole notion of a black face in high places uh, doesn't absolve the culpability of just how whole generations of african-american people have been ripped off uh that that's just that is a fact that is a reality and it's important to remind people of that i think you're absolutely right about that
3: again mustafa what why why is this important it is important because when we are seated at the table of power we must become we must be armed with that so when someone says, well, we have one, we have two, no, I want five and 10. Oh, right. well, uh, 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 we're, uh, uh, you know, we'll spend... Look, I said to the Biden campaign, when they were talking about, uh, they, they made the largest investment in black media uh, in a presidential campaign at 6 million. I said, I'm sorry, that is woefully inadequate. And that's, that's the, that is an indication also of the previous campaigns for their unwillingness to spend on black media. Uh, I said the exact same thing to others. And that is, so so the challenge that we, we must be willing, and this Mustafa is the thing that I think is the most important. We must be willing to sit across the table from people and operate from, as I always, people, y'all hear me say this all the time, when we talk about how do you deal with power? How do you confront power? How do you make demands of power? Uh, How do you challenge folk where they are? How do you push them and not simply accept anything? I'm going to go to my iPad here, and this to me explains it all. This is from the scene from Malcolm X. And this this is when they went to the police station, check on Brother Johnson. And Brother Johnson had been injured. Brother Johnson had been beaten. And then Malcolm X says, uh, get an ambulance. And then the ambulance comes to pick up Brother Johnson. And then, then of course, it takes him off. Now, this is the part where the police officer, the white cop, says this to Denzel, who's playing Malcolm X. And what Malcolm X says in this six-second clip should be the absolute mindset of every black person, whether you are in academia, whether you are in politics, whether you are in government, any place in this country, this should be your mantra. All right, break it up. You got what you wanted. No, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied.
5: Three, a thousand percent. We just gotta understand collective power we got to understand how we can leverage our own worth and make sure that our worth continues to increase. And some of it starts with us seeing it in ourselves. The other part of it, when you were laying out, I was thinking of chapters in a book that should be sitting in every African-American household across the country. That when, you are, you know, when you're a young child coming up and all the way until you are an elder, you are continually revisiting that and understanding what real power looks like and how, actually, I'm always down with the collective because it's not only about how we utilize our individual dollars, but it's also how we utilize that collective power to hold people accountable and to make sure we got real leverage in these positions, and that's why on today's show, when we talked about the CBC and making sure that it is connected through those voices and those sets of actions, with our monetary policy and making sure that we show up in that. And and we talked a little bit about Adam Clayton Powell also and how he understood where that power lied and how he leveraged that for the betterment of our communities. We have to get back to that. Our folks got to just realize that we have power, but it means that we have to come together. We have to educate ourselves. And then we've got to be willing to stand up and not just accept anything because we have way too many folks in our community who will deal with the bare minimums and think
3: that's okay? I'm not satisfied,
6: Rick. Oh, no question. You know, Roland, it's very it's very important for us. This is why we have to study our history. Uh, you know, Malcolm was able to do that because he had an organization, the Nation of Islam, that wasn't dependent on white people for anything. A string of businesses, farmland in the South. So when he said, I'm not satisfied, he's backed up by organization. Right there in New York, Malcolm was brought into a coalition to protest to get uh, union workers more money and to get better wages in New York by a sister named Anna Hedgman. Anna Arnold Hedgman was the sister who led in the Fair Employment Practice Committee work at the behest of A. Philip Randolph. It was Anna Hedgman that went to Martin Luther King and said, look, man, we hear you gonna have a march. Mr. Randolph talking about having a march, so you bring in the justice stuff, because we know you want to get the Civil Rights Act of 1964. We'll bring in the jobs and economic stuff, and that's why the march on Washington 63 was about jobs and justice. What Hedgman understood, what Randolph understood, is that you have to, as Mustafa said, have a united front. We don't have to all be ideologically the same, but we have to move forward. Finally, you know, Jared Ball has written a book called The Myth of Black Buying Power. And certainly there is something very true to that when you start talking about the question of our collective wealth. However, the basis of wealth is labor. When you organize, you're then able to do what Jared prescribes, what Anna Hedgman and Emma understood, which is make demands of policy. That's why when Sam's talking about the CBC, we're talking about the CBC, those are the purse strings. We all pay taxes. Our leverage politically is to get the revenue that we are owed and use that through... Infrastructure to level some of this playing field. Zuckerman, mean uh, Mark Zuckerman started this pandemic at $54.7 billion. That's what he was worth. It was worth $12 billion more than he is. He was. Now, right now, Buffett's went up to $88.3 billion and Zuckerberg's at 101.7. Why? People using Facebook, people using Amazon. You know who B E by now? Viacom. What else does Viacom own? MTV. Why were they charging so much more for ads? Because black labor, Michael Jackson, Prince, everybody, had made the MTV brand valuable. Now guess what else dotcom own Comedy Central. They selling Dave Chappelle, and Dave Chappelle said, I look at my great-grandfather and he'd be like, damn, you're more of a slave than I was. You've been sold more times than I was. Meaning what? When we don't organize, our labor will be used to build white well and so yeah they could buy bet and now they flip it and i bet you them rate a lot higher now that bought the competition because they got black labor now working for them every which way but blue uh
3: but of course uh they have that all right folks uh we talk about political power we've been discussing that all day uh that is also the case in baton rouge louisiana where tomorrow there's going to be uh, an actual election, that's right. It's going to be election. We're not as focused here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my next guest, of course, she is the uh, she's the mayor uh, of Baton Rouge, and so it's uh, always great great to have her uh, back uh, on uh, on on the show. Uh, and so uh, let's go, uh, Mayor. How you doing? You there?
8: Yes, I'm here, Roland. I'm doing great, getting ready for Victory 2020 tomorrow.
3: Uh, first of all, uh, Lynn Whitfield was here yesterday for John ah. Ossoff. Uh, she told me, uh, she said, uh, she said, uh, she sends her regards. She said, the mayor knows I'm down here in Atlanta, but if she needs my help, I'll be there. Uh, talk about this runoff, uh, Sharon Weston Broom that you're having, uh, uh, this, excuse me, this, um, yeah, the runoff that you're having tomorrow, uh, against your challenger.
8: Well, of course my challenger is a, uh, Republican who received 20% of the vote. I received 48% as the incumbent in a a race of six other candidates. And so I have been running a campaign and running an administration on equity and inclusion. I was so uh, engaged in the conversation that you all just had uh, because I recognize that if you're going to have a city of peace, prosperity, and progress, You cannot have disinvested communities and think everything is fine. You have to get uh, your D grade communities up to an A grade. You can't have one part of your community at an A, another at a D. And so this has been one of the themes and pillars of my administration. Uh, While many have embraced it, there have been some in the old regiment who think I'm doing a little bit too much for people who look like you and me.
3: Uh, Obviously, you failed 4,000 votes short. Uh, That's gonna be uh, important to get over the top. Uh, What for you, if you are reelected, what is gonna be the most important uh, thing for you uh, moving forward to move Baton Rouge forward?
8: Well, first of all, we have the largest infrastructure project in the history of Baton Rouge, uh, almost $1 billion. And I want to make sure that uh, DBEs, uh, African-Americans, women, uh, also, our vets have an opportunity to access those dollars, and so we've already started some proactive steps to open our business, open up Baton Rouge for business, so that remains a top priority. Continuing in our efforts towards police reform, we've made some substantial steps in terms of a closing the gap between our citizens and our police department, and that continues as we move four years forward. And of course, as we navigate this pandemic, making sure we sustain and empower our small businesses especially.
3: All right then, well, Mayor, uh, we certainly appreciate it. Good luck in the runoff tomorrow. Uh, And uh, when when COVID is over, I I can't wait uh, to be able to get back uh, out on the road uh, and uh, come to Baton Rouge, enjoy the food there and the folks at Southern University uh, as well.
8: Absolutely, we look forward to uh, having you once we get through this and we look forward to everyone going out to vote tomorrow.
3: All right then, Mayor, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, update on a story from uh, neighboring Texas, Crystal Mason, a black woman who was sent to jail in Texas for casting a provisional ballot uh, which she was ineligible to vote. She's appealing uh, to overturn her conviction in 2018 folks. In 2018, uh, Texas convicted her uh, of this because after she submitted a provisional ballot in 2016 while on supervised release uh, for a previous tax fraud conviction. Now, Texas law prohibits people from felony convictions from voting until they completed their sentence. Now, Mason says she wasn't aware that she was ineligible to vote. Even her probation officer testified that was the case. It did not matter. They still convicted her, which caused her to be in violation of her federal uh, parole. She had to go back in the prison. She's now out, but she's been caught up in this system. Uh, and so uh, she's appealing that conviction to the Texas appeals court and we will certainly keep you updated uh, on what happens uh, in that particular case there. All right, folks, uh, Michael Collier is going to come up next. I'm going to release my panel right now, but I do want to go ahead and just do this here. Uh, 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 so let me just do a ground here. Uh, Sam, how long you been in alpha? Uh, 44 years. Greg.
5: 35. Spring 1985. Mustafa. Since fall 1991.
3: Fall 91. Yep. All right, so it looks like Mustafa is the youngest one. I'm spring 1989, 31 years. Uh, and so uh, uh, glad to have uh, all the brothers here. Uh, it has been Uh, It has been a a good day. I've been looking at some of the stuff uh, out there. And also, just so folk know, uh, those of us, uh, those of us uh, who uh, who, uh, you know, what cracks me up. I'm just going to go and say this here. I get a kick out of folk, Sam, who think that just because just because, uh, you know, one gets older, that somehow we can't groove, that somehow, you know, we stop (laughs) being able to do what we do. You know, and I'm all, I'm always having to remind these folks, uh Anthony, you can go ahead and take take the video here. Uh this is what uh here you can take this here. This is the this is what uh I dropped. This is what I dropped uh a, a couple of years ago. Uh this video here went viral where I was sitting here uh uh in the um uh in my kitchen uh doing a little something, something. And you know, I just had to let folk know that uh because you know, and even some of these young alphas out here. Uh, they think that you know uh you know we shouldn't be out here uh, doing what we do. our right, video's over y'all come back to me uh, come on man, pay attention, Anthony, get off the phone. yeah, thank you Focus, <laughs> damn it. all right then I'm like, sit here, video ends all right so uh so we're here in Georgia so this is today. this is about uh, thirty minutes before showtime uh, and so y'all. That's how when you 52 and you an alpha <laughs> how you still are able to do the A step. So I, I, I just wanted to let the folk know don't out hurt there. Uh, like don't time. don't no no first <laughs> of all I ain't hurt nothing because let's be real clear. Uh, my legs work, my pelvis work, uh my yes, hips sir. work, uh, and so I can so I can still do what I do. So that's yes, that's sir. all I'm saying. Uh, so yes, just that's all I'm saying. So don't, don't I got, sometimes you gotta let them know, Greg. Roland,
6: I got I, I got to say this, man. Look, I'm first in my immediate family to go to college. I was in the marching band, Tennessee State. My best friend in the marching band wanted to be a Sigma. It's the summer before school starts. So we go to the library to look at the... I don't even know what I'm looking at. All these cats looking at the Sigma book. So I said, well, are they all the same? And they said, no. I said, well, then I saw this. Right here, you see? This book right here. And I saw the sphinx. And I said, well, let me see that one. I started looking through W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Rosen, Duke Ellington, Charles Hamlin. So then I asked a simple question. I said, wait, so are these guys in those other books? They said, no, you can only be in one. My question was, well, why in the hell would you want to be? Everybody, Martin Luther King, they all in this book. Why? And that, that that's when I said, oh, I got to be an alpha. I mean, it's common sense, brother. <laughs> everybody in this book. <laughs> Who you all got in Apple? <laughs>
3: anyway, <laughs> well, you know, some folks, some folk, you know, oh, they, they got to do what they, they do, got, you know. And you like, know that, like, that, I, I, I would explain my role.
4: You know that singing. First of all, well, when I was a student at the university, Service of, North of all, Carolina, we
3: shall transcend them.
4: Yes, sir. I was a Go student at the, at the University of North Carolina. There were no alphas, and the idea of being first of all being on a charter line at a PWI, that's why I became an alpha. Wow. Okay. All
3: right, then. All right, Mustafa. Mustafa, your alpha memory?
5: I mean, I always knew I was going to be an alpha. Actually, a good friend of my mother was the dean of the law school. He was uh, an alpha. And, uh, you know, from an early age, I used to watch how he, you know, just how he handled himself and how he did his business. And then just like... uh, you know, Brother Carr said, you know, after doing research and finding about all the incredible men who were alpha, I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. And then I also had learned that alphas were focused on, you know, on community service, uh, on social justice issues. So for me, I was locked in once I heard that because I knew I wanted to be a part of something that was going to give back to my community.
3: Mm-hmm. hmm now, now, I know we're supposed to be all about uh brotherhood stuff like that but I had to go ahead and play this on Alpha <laughs> Founders Day This is gonna be the last thing I play if I let y'all go my comedian Michael Kaya is up next so y'all don't want to miss that um but this was from uh three years ago I was in Los Angeles on the golf course uh and in fact I, I actually explained in the video uh exactly what was going down and Buddy Lewis a Howard University graduate um Buddy is, he, he did not have high enough grades, nor uh, he had high enough uh, moral principles to become an alpha, so therefore he pledged Omega. And so Buddy is always talking trash, and you know, since we got a comedian coming up next, I might as well go ahead and end this with a comedian. We want a golf course, and, and, and Buddy, Buddy, he, he feels himself, and then he decided to actually felt he felt that he could step better than me. And so, oh. Daddy had to teach Buddy a lesson. So, Chris Spencer said, oh, he ain't gonna put on time of dog cause Buddy's gonna make. I said, you think I'm worried? Now, Buddy was hopping. The problem is, Buddy can't step anymore. Shit, Buddy actually hops. He gonna blow both knees, ankle, all this sort of shit. So, let me, since he old and he an Omega, let me show Alpha, so that's how to do it. Look him. Give him that kick, buddy. Y'all, y'all see that? Ah. He all, y'all see that? Ah. He can't see the guy. Ah. He's fine. Ah. He's ah. he ah. ah. Because he can't. He's going to go something. Nigga, y'all kicking mud all on my face.
0: <laughs> Don't let the
3: alpha turn you out, buddy. I told him alpha's his daddy. Fuck that. <laughs> all I'm saying, never challenge your daddy. But who the baby father? <laughs> <laughs> never you challenge always, your, your daddy. Your
6: daddy. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I can't do that, brother. I'm, you you represent for all of us who might throw their back out, brother. i ride with you on that,
3: brother. You got that. <laughs> oh, I, I, hey, let me just be real clear, because y'all think I'm joking, okay? Uh-oh. That was uh-oh. not... See y'all, y'all, see, Stop then it, hold up. See, we <laughs> we in, see I'm just letting y'all know. I'm just letting <laughs> y'all know. And see, when you got that wooden floor, when you gotta <laughs> hit it with that A step, uh oh, uh oh, watch out, watch out, boy. I I, oh. I I I told y'all, don't don't play with a grown ass man. <laughs> uh Sam, Mustafa, Greg, I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. <laughs> Happy anniversary. All right, y'all. Up next, I roll about by comedian, Michael Kaya, is in the house. We'll be back in a moment.
7: When the going got tough in business, David Perdue outsourced American jobs overseas.
3: In a deposition,
0: Perdue testified he spent most of his career outsourcing. You need a career
7: out of outsourcing. How do you defend it? Well, it. I'm proud of it. When the going got tough in the Senate, PURDUE hid IN THE AIRPORT BATHROOM AND EVEN STOLE SOMEONE'S CELL PHONE WHO ASKED HIM A TOUGH QUESTION.
5: I STOLE MY PROPERTY.
7: WHEN THE GOING GOT TOUGH WITH COVID, PURDUE hid CRITICAL INFORMATION WHILE SELLING HIS OWN STOCKS.
4: RECORDS SHOW THAT SENATOR DAVID PURDUE BOUGHT AND SOLD STOCKS SHORTLY AFTER A PRIVATE SENATE BRIEFING ON THE VIRUS.
0: IT'S NOT JUST THAT YOU'RE A CROOK, SENATOR. YOU'RE ATTACKING THE HEALTH OF THE PEOPLE THAT YOU REPRESENT
7: now Purdue won't even face his constituents backing out of debate after debate.
0: Enough incompetence, deceit, corruption, division. Change has come to Georgia. Change is coming to America. Georgia needs a real senator,
7: not a chicken Purdue. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertisement.
0: I'm John Ossoff, and too many are struggling to afford prescriptions. One change in the law would make a huge difference. See, Medicare is America's biggest buyer of prescriptions. But the drug companies bought off Congress, and they made it illegal for Medicare to negotiate lower prices. It's straight-up corruption. Fighting corruption is my job. I approve this message because I'm not taking donations from corporate PACs, and I won't let the drug companies rip us off anymore.
7: We told them the smear ads were coming, and that's exactly what happened. You would think that Kelly Leffler might have something good to say about herself if she really wants to represent Georgia. Instead, she's trying to scare people by taking things I've said out of context from over 25 years of being a pastor. But I think Georgians will see her ads for what they are. Don't you? I'm Raphael Warnock, and we approve this message.
9: We know what this is. It's Kelly Loeffler trying to play the race card to divide us. It's meant to scare you. It doesn't change anything or help any of us. This is the old politics. Georgia's too busy to hate. Our state should be a leader in business, education, science, sports. Don't let Kelly Leffler take us back. Vote for the better Georgia. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising
3: all right folks december 16th but bt is gonna have a, a new holiday uh, christmas movie uh coming out it's called uh holiday heartbreak starring comedian michael collier uh michael hit me up he was like man he said i gotta come on the show i got a christmas movie uh michael collier what's up
10: man i'm loving you as usual I'm loving your show loving what you bring man y'all was talking about stepping though I thought y'all meant like that Chicago South Side stepping, but you meant fraternity stepping. You you and, and Buddy Lewis, who yes. is who is actually he's crazy for real. He's like certified. Buddy Lewis, one of them guys you used to be able to take to an institution and you hand them to the people and they just give you seventy-five dollars. You gotta ask no questions or nothing. You know, so <laughs> so y'all was doing a whole different kind of step. How you doing, brother?
3: Oh, man, I'm all good. We're here in Atlanta. Uh, we're actually in here in Atlanta, of course. We're covering the Georgia Senate runoff. Uh, and uh, so we're on the road, but uh, it's always good to talk with you. Uh, and so you got this movie, the holiday movie coming up. And oh, uh, the, 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 the tongue, air, it, first of all, when the hell do we reach the point where there are 7,489 Christmas movies? Well,
10: because right now everybody's <laughs> stuck in the house with COVID. And, and everybody scared. Everybody nervous. They done lost their jobs. Ain't nobody working. And people need to be able to laugh and feel comfort and feel home. So this is like a Christmas marathon. But our show is gonna be the classic. Holiday heartbreak. Come on, player. I got A.J. Johnson. You know who played Tyrese's mom and baby boy. You know I, I got I got Country Wayne. Who's man? This dude is so funny. He can say anything. He can say peanut butter. And it's funny. He can say curtain rod. And it's funny. My daughter, played by Marion Bashir, who's fine as Frog's Head. You ever see Frog's Head? You can't see it. It's too damn fine. She plays the daughter <laughs> who he tried to get hijacked by crazy ass Country Wayne. And I mean, it's just off the chain. It's got a great, great cast. Even fine Lisa Ray. Mm-mm-mm. She played the voodoo woman who put the spell on me. Oh, it's good. It's good.
3: Now, 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 somebody put on here on. A, I'm looking at our Facebook and our YouTube chat, and they asked, they said, "So is Michael? Is, is Michael playing Santa Claus?" They talking about your beard. Yes, I As am. Says, I am. Santa I'm, Claus I'm, in I'm, the movie?
10: I'm doing Santa. It's the Black Santa. We've been waiting for him forever, cause you know White Santa can't come nowhere in my hood. I live in Englewood, and if he come in there, especially wearing that red, oh, it's going down. You know? No, I play the father. You know, and I have to go through this journey, man. I got to save people. I think I'm saving people, but I really saved myself. This show really is about love, the power of love, and how you treat people. If you don't treat them right, about karma, what's going to come back and bite you? But it is hilarious. It's a great story. And I'm halfway cute in it, too. Thank you very much.
3: <laughs> uh, you talk about all the folks in there. Uh, the, the thesis is quite simple. Uh, as well, uh, let's just say So, your character Were, were, were you to play a player, player black, back back in the day? And is it yes, coming sir. back to haunt you?
10: Exactly I don't play a player, it comes back to haunt me You know, I did bad things when I was Wow, well, they weren't bad Come on, but young men who are successful Oh, look at this How you expect them to act? Look how good I looked on screen Can they hear it?
3: <laughs> oh Bobby, oh, they you can't ain't got hear. no okay. sense whatsoever. Oh.
10: oh, no, no. It's so good. And it comes no, back... No, Michael,
3: from... Mi- Mi- Michael, 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 in television, that's called B-roll. So we roll a video while you talk about it. Go ahead.
10: Uh, okay. All right. Now, I got this person who's calling, even though I'm on the show right now. So they calling in and blocking me, blocking my light, blocking my juice. You know, I'm just thrilled <laughs> to be the star. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've been in many movies. This is my first time being number one on the call sheet, and I think I held up
3: to it. So wait a minute, me, hold on. So this, so this, so this is your first. This is your first leading role.
10: This is my first leading role. You know, I mean, I always steal the show when I'm in any movie, but this is the first time they let me actually be the lead. They ain't let me. They gave that to me because Tressa Smallwood, the producer, has vision, man. And working with MegaMind, the company, I've never had this type of energy and love on the set. Everybody was so positive. They helped me make it magical. It's really, really magical, man. I, it's so good, I can't wait to see it myself. And I refuse to watch it until it comes out December 16th. I want to see it when everybody else sees it. In fact, I'm well, back at that- myself a red carpet remnant, okay? And I'm gonna sit out from my house and I'm gonna walk up to my own door. I'm having my own, you know, My uh, Kelly gonna stand out, my woman gonna stand up there with one camera. She gonna be paparazzi. And I'm gonna walk up that red remnant, you know, and I got a champagne glass full of eggnog and I'm gonna watch myself. It's gonna be so good.
3: <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned Tressa because Tressa was the one who put me uh, in the movie Sinners Wanted.
10: She said, Make sure I send her love to you today, too. She said, make sure you tell Roland I said hello. And, and if you worked with her, you know how they do it at Mega Man. They're positive black people who love each other, support each other, lift each other up. It was way easier than I thought it would be, you know, because like I said, being my first role where I really had more lines than I have ever had before. And I'm trying to make sure that people have been watching me as a comedian forever. They see me doing my like acting parts, but now I'm the star of it. I didn't want to fail at it. But they help you so much. They inspire you and encourage you and lift you up. And you know you can do it when you're working with Mega Man. So I love Tressa Tressa Smallwood off the chain.
3: All right, then. Michael, call your win. So it airs what day and what time on BET?
10: It's on BET uh, on December 16th. And it's at 6 p.m., I think, on both coasts. I know 6 p.m. in L.A. I think it's also 6 p.m. on the East Coast. So they're they rolling at a, a decent time. You can see it. But, you know, it's on BET. So, you know, they're going to run that about 95,000 times. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's really good. If you miss it, don't worry about it. You're going to get to see it again tomorrow. Wait a whole three hours. You're going to get a chance
3: yeah, to see it again. It will come around and around and around and around.
10: And she stayed in COVID compliance too, brother. That she didn't play. You had to come in with a recent test saying that you had negative COVID. You know, we take the test. Matter of fact, I I even carry my own put your forehead up there for a second. Let me get the Okay. Yeah, you 97-8. Okay. If somebody checked me, I check them. I don't play with this. I wash my hand 47 times. I got 97 masks. Me and my wife wear the mask. To bed, sometimes we don't know who we're sleeping with. Let me tell you something. I take this so serious, COVID. <laughs> if you're on the phone talking to me and you cough, I hang up on your ass. I don't play with COVID. And we don't play. And they didn't play on that set. <laughs> you had to show up ready. They test us every day. Every three days, they test your blood. You couldn't be there unless you was right. So she does it right, brother. Could I just mention also my morning show, like while I'm here with your big audience? I have a morning show called The Michael Cowyer Morning Show. at 7 a.m., five days a week, because I think people are so stressed out. They're more, they're more damaged by the stress and the fear of COVID than actually COVID itself. So we have a place where you can come and laugh and pray every day. Just go to YouTube and put in The Michael Kaya Morning Show. It is so good. And every day we talk about the movie on that. All right. <laughs> I
3: love well, you, bro. Of course bro you do. Michael, somebody on YouTube... Somebody, somebody on YouTube said, he's funny. What's his cash app? They want to tip you.
10: Oh, God bless you for even saying that. My cash app is so easy. I like to make it easy for other people to give me their money, Rolling. Okay, my cash app is dollar sign Michael Cowher's money. Dollar sign Michael years money. And with this COVID going on, everybody out of work, I want you to know I'm available for everything. I'm doing weddings, divorces, Passover, hangover. I do a party in a phone booth if you promise to call. So thank you, King. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> it's called Holiday Heartbreak. It is so good, man. I can't wait to see it.
3: All right, Michael You're Always a pleasure, my brother. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
10: Blessings. Thank you, Roland. God bless you, man. Happy holiday.
3: Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Folks, that's it for us. Don't forget that you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, look, y'all, ain't no show like this here where you can have your political breakdown, your economic breakdown. You can have great panelists like Mustafa Santiago Ali, Sam Fullwood, Dr. Greg Carr, uh, the mayor of uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about, uh, you know, the top, top black economists, then of course you top that thing off, uh, with my man, Michael Collier. Then of course, y'all ain't going to have no other host doing no A-step. Come on now. Anderson Cooper ain't going to do this. Jake Tapper can't do this. Chris, y'all know that boy Chris can't do this. They ain't going to, Lawrence O'Donnell not going to do that. And none of them fools at Fox got any rhythm so we want y'all to support what we do we are here in atlanta georgia we're going to be traveling all across uh the state uh covering this race uh it's going to be absolutely uh uh, fabulous y'all uh tomorrow listen to me tomorrow 1 p.m eastern we're going to be live streaming the Raphael warnock john ossoff rally then on sunday sunday is the debate with Warnock and Kelly Leffler. David Perdue will not debate Ossoff. Ossoff will be by himself. We have gotten permission from the Atlanta Press Club to stream that. We're gonna actually be, uh, hold on, let me tell y'all where I'm gonna be. We're gonna be uh, in, they sent to me, hold on, this is important because if y'all are in Georgia, uh, we want y'all to come out. There's gonna be a drive-in debate watch party. Y'all hear me? Drive-ins. It's called Dinner and Debate Drive-In, Black Voters Matter. Tom- it's going to be in Thomasville and Warner Robins. I'm going to be there with them. I will be there. We're going to have a pre-show. We're going to show the debate, and then we're going to have a great time. That's going to be on Sunday beginning at 4 p.m., okay? So support what we do, y'all. Cash out. Dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash Unfiltered. Venmo.com is forward slash RM Unfiltered. Uh, Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Money order sent to New Vision Media, N.U. Vision Media Inc., 1625 K Street Northwest, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, first of all, 1625 K Street Northwest, uh, Suite 400, Suite 400, Washington, D.C. 2006. Uh, my man Kenan sent me this note here. We have 15,505 members of our fan club. Is that number right? Yes, 15,505, y'all. We wanna end the year with 20,000. So we are, again, we're less than 5,000 away. Join our fan club. We ask 50 bucks each for the course of a year, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, if you can't give 50, that's fine. We've had people give. 40, 30, 20, 10, 12, $4, a dollar, doesn't matter. We've got people give us a lot more than that. So whatever uh, your heart desires, because this is about creating a platform. We're ready to cover our stories and speak to our issues. We end every Friday show uh, with our list of fan club members. If you don't see your name on the list, simply uh, send me an email and we'll get that rectified. All right, folks, I will see y'all tomorrow. I'm here from Atlanta. I'll see y'all on Sunday. And then of course, Monday is the last day to register. If you're in Georgia, register to vote so we can put Warnock and Ossoff in the United States Senate. I gotta go, I'll see y'all later to all my alphas. To all my frat brothers, uh, have a great Founder's Day. Uh, To our General President, Everett Ward. uh, To all the great alphas out there. My brother, Reginald Martin Jr., who was number three. Hey
0: everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
1: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
0: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
1: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff.
7: Grown Up Stuff. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless.